Ah, my heart feels full. Um, I feel so grateful to be a part of this house. And I feel so grateful to be a part of a house where the presence of God is so welcome uh, in this place and in his people. I feel grateful this morning that we know and love and serve a God who is not a vague and distant deity who's cool and aloof and detached uh, from the lives of his people and from the world that he made and loves and is redeeming back to himself. I feel grateful that we serve a God and know and love a God who loves his kids as a good heavenly father should and who wants to draw near and to come close and to, uh, who longs for intimacy with his people and who has things to speak into our lives through his word, by his spirit, through other people sometimes that strengthen us and encourage us and give us hope and comfort and call us up to be all that we are in him. John chapter 10, verse 27 says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. As Aaron mentioned a moment ago, we are in a series, in fact, wrapping up that series this morning, called Voice. And the big idea that we've been centering around is that the more familiar we are with the shepherd, then the more familiar we are with his voice. And so far, we've been talking about uh, drawing close to the shepherd as his sheep. Uh, we've talked about what it looks like to hear his voice as those who draw close. And we've talked about how hearing his voice is more of an art than it is a science. Aaron talked about that last week and how as an art rather than a science, it's something that's developed over time as we show up and grow up and are filled up by the Spirit of God in our life. This morning as we wrap up the series, I want us to talk a little bit about what it might look like for us to be primed for the speaking voice of God in our life. Maybe to rephrase the question, what does it look like for us to cultivate our inner environment in a way that, that makes it easy for God to get our attention, in a way that we are readied for the speaking voice of God in our life, however he speaks, whenever, through whatever means. Now, as followers of Jesus, it's important that we recognize that Jesus likens us unto sheep because of the relationship we have with him, but also with one another. In other words, as we discern his voice in our life, it's important to recognize that sheep tend not to do well in isolation. We tend to do well and flourish in a flock. So a significant part of discerning his voice in our life is being a part of the flock, submitting what we think that we're hearing to the authority of his word and processing it with the community of faith. But what does it look like for us to be primed? Uh, ancient Celtic tradition would oftentimes speak of thin spaces or places. Places normally out in nature somewhere that are particularly beautiful and uh, maybe have this, this uncanny, palpable sense of the presence of God. A place where it seems like heaven and earth are so close they almost seem to overlap one another. That You can reach out and touch it if you can see it. You can almost pull it into yourself. What might it look like for you and I to be like a walking thin space? Or for the church, 
corporately to be a thin space together with God, to to be so attuned to His nearness, to cultivate a sense of the divine presence in our lives that it heightens our awareness of His nearness. Now, as followers of Jesus, we know that God is always near, right? By virtue of His nature, David asked the question, where can I flee from your presence? And the answer is nowhere. Or by virtue of His promises, Jesus says, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. Or by virtue of His indwelling presence in our lives, His Holy Spirit. But proximity does not necessarily equal intimacy, does it? Uh, just ask my wife. <laughs> uh, we could be sitting down at the dinner table together and she's asking about my day and very attentive to what I'm saying. And then I listen to her and ask about her day and she's answering and I'm nodding and listening. And then something she says might trigger something else in my mind and immediately and I'm, I'm in a different place. And after a while, she'll realize that my head nods don't necessarily correspond with what she's saying. Right? <laughs> I know none of you have ever had that conversation. And she'll ask, are you, are you with me? Now, she's not asking, are you here physically, but are you present in this conversation? What does it look like for you and I to be present to God, to be so attuned to Him that it's easy for Him to get our attention? Or maybe to borrow the analogy in the parable of the soils taught by Jesus, what might it look like for the heart Uh, to be well-cultivated soil? We can answer that question a lot of different ways. We don't want the heart for sure to be hard soil, right? This impenetrable to the words and to the voice of God in our life. We don't want to be that rocky soil that maybe it's quickly responsive, but it it disappears as quickly as it came. It's not sustained in our lives. Or we don't want to be that uh, thorny soil that he talks about, the heart that is, that is filled with distraction and confusion, the cares, the concerns, the noise from the world that chokes out and drowns out the words that God wants to speak into our life. We want to be that well-tilled, well-cultivated soil, the heart that is easily receptive to what God has to speak into our lives. I suppose there are several practices that we can focus on when we talk about that. Obviously, Scripture reading and and prayer are primal when it comes to interacting with God. Uh, Practices of um, uh, sacrifice and generosity and maybe even anonymity, not letting our right hand know what our left hand is doing. Solomon says this in the book of Proverbs, chapter 4. He says, my son, and this applies to all people, but he's using the words generically, my kids. Pay attention to what I say. Listen, he says, to my words. Never let them out of your sight and hide them in your heart. Their life to those who find them, their health to a person's whole body. Above all else, guard the heart, for it is the wellspring of life. There are certain heart-guarding heart-preparing practices that can ready our hearts, prime our hearts for the voice of God 
in our life. I want to point our attention to just a few of them this morning, uh, not to have a three-point sermon, but it just so happens that there are three particular practices that have been meaningful to me as of late, and hopefully they'll be meaningful to you, right? The first one is the practice of rest. Now, maybe you weren't expecting that. <laughs> maybe you were expecting me to tell you to do something as opposed to tell you to not do something. Not doing something is always nice. Doing something is good too, but rest in a culture that is addicted to hurry and rush, rest is an antidote to a weary soul that is desperate for God. That's why in our house we speak so much of practicing Sabbath and sustainable rhythms and and because we don't want to just rest from our work, but ultimately we want to get in such a rhythm where we're working from a place of rest. And that's not just physical rest. It might include physical rest stopping once a week to enjoy a 24-hour period of, of life-giving activity. Or that might be mental rest and giving yourself permission to put your concerns and your problems down for a period. As uh, the great theologian, Bill Murray uh, and the star of one of my favorite movies, What About Bob Says, I'm taking a vacation from my problems. <laughs> or spiritual rest. In learning to relax in the grace of God made available for you moment by moment by moment through Jesus. To know that there is absolutely nothing that you or I can do to earn or merit His approval, His favor, His love, that you have been accepted in the Son. The work has been finished. It's been accomplished through His death and resurrection. And allowing the soul to rest in that finished work is a gift that God desires for you. Have you noticed? Here's where we're going with rest. Have you noticed as you read throughout the pages of Scripture that there seems to be a correlation between people who are at rest and the speaking voice of God in their life? Maybe you have, but you haven't really thought about it that way before. And yes, there are some definite notable exceptions to that. We're not going to uh, identify those this morning. But by and large, what we find throughout the pages of Scripture, the pattern, if you will, is that God has something to say to somebody, and it's almost as if He waits for them to be at rest before He does it. Jacob, for instance, in the Old Testament book of Genesis, he just completes a long day's journey. He's exhausted. He's camping out underneath the stars. He's so tired, he's using a rock for a pillow. I'm not sure I've ever been that tired. But that night, God comes to him in a dream. Gives him a dream of a ladder ascending from heaven to earth with angels of heaven ascending and descending on that ladder. Centuries later, Jesus will say that ladder is a picture of him. He wakes up in the morning and says, Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. Thin space. Or Samuel who grew up to be the great prophet of God in Israel, when he was just a boy training in the temple at Shiloh, the Scripture says in 1 Samuel that he's asleep, or he's about to fall asleep on, on his bed in the evening. The evening lamp had not yet gone out. It's just the candle still flickering. And in the quietness of that evening, in the rest of his body, God whispers his name, Samuel. He thinks it's Eli. It takes a few times to realize it's God. He says, yes, Lord, your servant is listening. Or you take Mary, for instance, in the New Testament, how an angel of the Lord visits her in a dream and reveals to her that she is going to conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit, and she's actually going to bring forth into the world the Savior, the Messiah of the world. 
God has broken into her life. Or Peter, in the book of Acts, he, uh, the Scripture says in the book of Acts that he is uh, visiting a friend in the coastal town of Joppa, and he's staying in his friend's house. And in the morning he gets up and he goes up to the rooftop of that house. Uh, the roof in that time was basically their version of the patio. And he's looking out at the ocean. And I imagine Peter up there, he's relaxing in a chair, and he's looking out at the ocean, and he's going to spend some time with God. He's got his Bible, he's got his journal, he's got a fresh pen, and he's got his grande cup of French roast, no room for absolutely anything cup of coffee, compliments of Starbucks Joppa. And he's going to enjoy some time with God. And he is just relaxing, looking out of the ocean. And God breaks in and gives him a vision that absolutely blows apart his dwarfed vision of mission in the world. Did you see the pattern? We can keep going. We won't. But, but time and time again, we see throughout the pages of Scripture, consistently, God has something to speak into the lives of people, and He doesn't do it until they are at rest. By and large, again, some exceptions. It's almost as if He's waiting for His opportunity where there's no competition for His voice in their life. There's something about the body at rest there's something about the mind at rest in a place of complete decompression that according to what we might see in the pattern of Scripture suggests is particularly attractive to the speaking voice of God in our lives. Uh, perhaps this is why, for instance, the 23rd Psalm launches out these beautiful words like this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside quiet waters, and He restores my soul. Only then does the psalmist go on to say, He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. It's as if the Scripture is setting us up for this pattern that the rest of God is a precursor to the leadership of God in our lives. I remember a time uh, several years ago when our kids were, um, well, kids, 12, 10, and 8, and we had enjoyed a particularly restful Saturday at home. We slept in late. Uh, when we got up, we made a giant breakfast with all the carbs, you know the kind. And after we cleaned up, we went on a family bike ride throughout the neighborhood and through the woods near our house. We came home. We went to the blueberry farm near our house. We picked buckets of blueberries, came home. We relaxed around the house, enjoyed a, a grilling on the back deck. It was an amazingly restful day. At the end of that day, I was doing dishes at the kitchen sink. Cindy was uh, in one of the back bedrooms, just playing with the kids, doing something fun. And um, I was just zoning out, looking out the window. I wasn't looking at anything in particular. I wasn't even thinking about anything in particular. I didn't have a spiritual thought in my head, let alone a thought in my head. In fact, I was probably doing the same dish for about five minutes, just kind of <laughs> letting the water go down the drain. <laughs> And in that moment of just complete rest, God broke in to my life in a way that uh, He hadn't before in 20 years of following Jesus. He spoke in a way that I was not familiar with, but came with that Jacob sense of the presence of God and said some things that became very informative for our prayer life over the next year and actually came to pass exactly as He had said within that year. I was blown away. 
And what he said, not quite the point. Where I'm getting at here is that we can't manufacture our own encounters with God, but we can be ready for them. And we can cultivate the environment of the heart in a way that primes us for the speaking voice of God in our life. In fact, there's another practice that I want to draw our attention to this morning, and that's the practice of gratitude. Gratitude. And maybe you weren't expecting that one either, right? Just like rest is an antidote to a weary soul desperate for God, gratitude is an antidote for an anxious heart. An anxious heart that can also be interference to His voice in our lives. Now, it's not the antidote for an anxious heart, right? Because an anxious heart can be a complicated thing, but it is an important one. And by the way, practicing gratitude is is certainly a whole lot more than putting a Pollyannic spin on every difficult experience that we have in life. It's not just turning to the positive and flipping the dial and don't feel those things that you're feeling. That's not necessarily gratitude, right? God wants us to invite Him to journey with us through the difficult emotions that we experience in life. The fears, the cares, the sorrows, the worries, the hopes, the crushed dreams. He wants us to invite Him into those spaces, even anger. Cast all your anxieties upon Him, the Scripture says, because He cares for you. We're not wasting God's time when we invite Him into the difficult places. We're journeying with Him in the journey of life. And yet overarching all of that and in the midst of that, there's still gratitude. And there is nothing like expressing gratitude that puts the heart in the place of immediacy before God unlike anything else that I have experienced. And maybe you've experienced the same thing. Try it. Next time you're sitting on I-25 in traffic and traffic is going absolutely nowhere and you're wondering, why aren't people moving, right? My tendency is to think if we all count to three and push the accelerator at the same time, we'd go, right? (laughs) Come on, guys, we can do it. Team effort. Uh, Or you're making your way through the grocery store and you're trying to find that office supply section that's about two feet by two feet and you're just looking for some name tags for your city group that starts in about 20 minutes. That was me about a week and a half ago. Or the next time you're doing something completely unseen and mundane, like cleaning the toilet. In those unlikely moments, practice gratitude. Lord, thank you that I've got a toilet to clean. Thank you for a roof over my head. Thank you, God, for people in my life, for family, friends, coworkers who make me better. God, thank you for a job. Thank you for an income. Thank you for grocery store shelves stocked with food, for the people who stocked it, for the supply chain that brought it, no matter how broken it might be right now. Help them, Lord. <laughs> I mean, really help them. <laughs> God, thank you for healthcare workers. Thank you for county health officials who are doing their darndest. Thank you, Lord, for police officers. Thank you, Jesus, for your son, by whose provision I have life in you. Just go on, practicing gratitude. Notice as you do what happens in your body, physiologically. Notice your breathing normalize as you practice gratitude. Notice your heart rate go down. Notice your anxiety drop as your peace level rises. Notice your sense of awareness suddenly broaden. 
Did you know that the regular practice of gratitude actually reduces cardiopulmonary diseases? <laughs> yeah. It also reduces neurodegeneration by creating new neural pathways in the brain. That to me is fascinating that the mind is almost as if it were renewing itself through the regular practice of gratitude. But more than that, at least for our purposes this morning, uh, there's something on the inside that comes into alignment with the heart of God, with the person of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God, and His good intentions for your life through the regular practice of appreciation and gratitude to God. When I was a little guy, we had something called a television set, right? Today, we've got TVs, right? Then we had television sets. It was as deep as it was wide. It was a cube. And it was a heavy cube. It was on a big metal stand, and it was the centerpiece of the room. And there was no such thing yet as a remote control, or the clicker, as we would call it, when the first remote control came out. When you wanted to change the channel, you got up from your chair. I know this is scary. You walked over to the television. You turned the dial. And you're thinking, wow, that must have taken forever. No, there was only 13 channels, right? <laughs> half of them worked. <laughs> I don't know what the purpose of the other half was ever for, <laughs> except to make counting sense for people who are very linear in their thinking. And then when the picture wasn't coming in very clearly, it was staticky or there was snow, right? We would call it snow on the screen and everybody would sit around waiting for someone else to get up to adjust the antenna. On the top of the television set was one of these contraptions, right? I bet you have no idea what this is, some of you. Some of you say, oh, there it is. In fact, this one has dust on it. We would call this rabbit ears for obvious reasons. And this would sit on top of the television set. It was plugged into the back. And when the picture wasn't coming in clearly, then somebody would volunteer and get up and stand next to it. And everyone else would say, nope, a little bit to the left, a nope, little bit to the right. No, kind of lift your foot over it. No, put it back down. No, put it right down. Don't move a muscle. That's perfect, right? Because Chachi's about to propose to Joni and nobody wants to miss the big moment. I lost about half of you in the room with that joke. Didn't I? Gratitude is what adjusts the antenna of the heart so that our inner picture of the goodness of God and the fullness of His grace can come in more clearly in a world of confusion and distraction and noise. In fact, listen to what Scripture says about gratitude. Psalm 136, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His love endures forever. Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall ever be on my lips. Psalm 95, let us come before Him with thanksgiving. We have done that today, church. Let us come before Him with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise to him. Listen, it's not that God needs our gratitude. God is not sitting in heaven thinking to himself, man, I just don't feel appreciated, right? All this work of redeeming the world and restoring all things and renewing everything to myself, is, it's hard, right? And, and what thanks do I get, right? God is not feeling unappreciated, and we don't express gratitude to God to meet his need for appreciation, but he does deserve it. And when we offer our appreciation to God, our gratitude, it's not He necessarily, but we who become the beneficiaries. 
And it brings the heart into a place of alignment with God that primes us for the speaking voice of God in our life. Last one. That's beauty. Again, maybe one that you weren't expecting. In other words, to develop a quickness to look for, to uh, respond to and appreciate the presence of beauty in the world. We look a lot of, at a lot of non-beautiful things in the world, and yet the presence of God and the beauty of God is still in it. N.T. Wright, British theologian, says, beauty is a pointer to the strange, demanding, demanding presence of God in the midst of His world. He's saying it's a signpost. It's a broken signpost in a broken world, and yet it's a signpost nevertheless. You and I are hardwired by God for beauty. For the simple reason that we are hardwired by God for love. And beauty is what love looks like, or sounds like, or smells like. And love visualized is another way to speak of the glory of God. Think about the last time that you were outside at night on a crystal clear evening and you gazed in amazement at the stars in the sky. For me, it was about 10.45 or 11 o'clock this last Friday night. There was no moon. It was crystal clear. And I was blown away at the stars. And I could see Orion and, and, uh, uh, and Ursa Major and Cassiopeia. And then over here in the eastern sky was the Pleiades, which is actually looks like a constellation, but it's the beginning, the edge of an entirely different galaxy. And I was amazed. Think about that time that you looked at the galaxy, the universe, and you were in amazement in the beauty, the grandeur, the wonder, the enormity of the universe, and you suddenly became aware of the beauty and the grandeur, the enormity of the God of the universe, the Creator. You became in those moments aware of His glory. In fact, listen to this, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words, no sound is heard from them, and yet, I love those words, and yet, those, their voice goes out into all the earth. Creation and all of its beauty speaks of the glory of God, not because God needs for us to admire His glory, but because His glory is the, own, the true outpouring of His own generous love. A generous love that is fully unveiled and made visible in the person of Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, the word Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And then we beheld or gazed upon his glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. When we look for the beautiful... We are responding to something that has been deeply hardwired into us that is longing for that is longing to see and to respond to the beauty of our Creator, to the beauty of God, to the beauty of Jesus. 
And that might be the beauty of a morning sunrise over a glassy lake. It speaks to something. This is what makes beauty the language of the soul. Something speaking to something deep within that connects you back to Him. And that might be the beauty of a musical score that when played just puts your soul in a totally different place. It might be the beauty found in the face of a child or an act of kindness expressed from one person to another. Because you see, ultimately, beauty is not just found in things, it's found in people and maybe even especially in people. All people. Because all people, no matter who they are, no matter what side of the aisle they find themselves, no matter what side of a border they happen to be, all people are made in the image of a good and beautiful God. And part of practicing the presence of God in our lives involves practicing the presence of people with an awareness of the divine space that exists between us and other people in our day-to-day relationships. This is what philosopher, Jewish philosopher Martin Buber refers to as I-thou relationships. I-it relationships, he says, happen when, when we view people as means to our ends or as barriers to our ends. And we assess their value and treat them accordingly. That's I-it relationships. I-thou relationships happen when we recognize the divine space that exists between us and other people and see and treat their value according to Him. Canadian theologian and founder of uh, La Arche School for the Disabled, Jean Venier, says that to love someone is to reflect the beauty of another person back to themselves. That's a pretty core definition. I love that. And the reason why I love that is because when you look at the life of Jesus in the Gospels, you see that's exactly what he is constantly and consistently doing. That he had this unique ability to just stop on a dime, to look at, listen to, pay attention to, and recognize the beauty found in another person. When he saw them, he did not first see their sinfulness. He saw first the beauty of one made in the image of God. Whether that was a Roman centurion, a tax collector, whether that was a broken woman at the well, or a leper outcast by his own or her own community, he saw beauty. And that began everything that he did for other people, that moment. So whether we look for beauty in things or see it in people, ultimately what we're doing is we are training the soul to look for God and to gaze upon his beauty. Listen to what the scripture says in the book of Psalms, verse, or chapter 27. One thing I ask of the Lord. That's a pretty singular request. This only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him. This is not just an individual invitation. This is a community invitation. He says, the house of the Lord. He's not just referencing a physical structure, but the people of God. The gazing upon the beauty of God is perhaps the singular most 
privileged thing we can do in Christ. It's called worship. And when we train the soul to look for God, the experience of the space between us and Him seems a little bit thinner. And heaven just might seem a little bit closer. And something within is maybe a little bit more primed for the speaking voice of God in our life. This isn't three steps to get God to talk to you, right? God's not a gumball machine. Put in a corner, turn the dial, and out. We don't mechanize our relationship with God any more than we do any other relationship. But we can become present to God. And we can develop an attentiveness to Him that heightens something within that listens and hears His voice. So I don't know how this lands in your heart this morning. I, uh, maybe some of you are thinking to yourself, I have never heard the speaking voice of God in my life and I've been following Jesus for... Can I just... Uh, maybe you feel a little bit badly about that. Can I encourage you? Don't feel badly at all. <laughs> Those who look to the Lord are radiant, their faces are never covered with shame. <laughs> the psalmist says... Maybe your next step is simply to relax, to take the pressure off yourself, the burden off your shoulders, to hear from God, put it back on His shoulders where it belongs, and just enjoy Him. And allow yourself to enjoy the reality that He actually does enjoy you. He finds you delightful. Not everything we do delightful, but He finds you delightful. Maybe you're here this morning as one who would say, you know, I have heard God speak and in a particular way over the years, but it's been a while. I feel like I'm in a dry spell. Where'd he go, God? (laughs) And so maybe your next step might be to revisit, God, how might you be training me or redirecting me to listen to your voice differently in this season of my life? When we get in a rut, (laughs) we can depend on that rut and lose our dependency on God. So maybe your next step is to revisit. Maybe you're here this morning as one who would say, wow, this whole idea about God speaking seems very foreign to me. Maybe you didn't realize that the relationship that God invites us into is, uh, it's interactive, it's participatory. And so maybe your next step is to simply return Uh, to come home to God, maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time through a personal relationship with him through faith in his son Jesus by whose death and resurrection that way is made possible. He so longs for you to know him and for you to know his love and his delight and his pleasure in you and to consider you as his child. So whether your next step is to relax or to uh, revisit or maybe to return, there's one step that I'd like to encourage us all to take. It's the same one that Aaron has been encouraging us to take over the weeks of this series, and that's to take just five minutes alone with God and sit quietly in His presence. Just enjoy Him. It's one thing to wait for God for something, It takes a little bit of practice and discipline to wait for God for nothing. But just to wait on Him 
and to be present. For five minutes, maybe ultimately the goal is every day, but once a week, maybe set a timer so you don't have to worry about the time that's kind of taken care of. And maybe this week, do it a little bit differently. You've been doing it. Maybe go outside or look out a window where you can see something beautiful. And um, appreciate that beauty. Allow that beauty to point to His beauty. And allow your soul to gaze upon the beauty of God. In those moments... And I want you to hear this. No, regardless of what's happening, loving, friendly eyes are gazing right back at you. So can we pray, church? God, we thank you that you are a relational God who made us for relationship with you who desires to speak into our lives words that strengthen, encourage, comfort, and call us up. So Lord, would we recognize your ongoing invitation to intimacy? Would you help us take the steps that you would have us take to cultivate the inner environment of the heart that we might be primed for your speaking voice in our lives? Help us to know and become familiar with you. That when you speak, we would know and be familiar with your voice. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.